0: Welcome to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP E-M-E-D PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the library Entries section of the ACCP community's website.
1: The STREAM-2 study was published in August of this year and is titled Half-Dose Tenecteplase or Primary Percutaneous Coronary Intervention in Older Patients with ST-Segment Elevation Myocardial Infarction, a Randomized Open Label Trial. Authors sought to answer the question, is half-dose tenecteplase an effective and safe pharmacoinvasive treatment in older patients with STEMI presenting within three hours of symptom onset who are unable to undergo primary PCI within one hour. The Joint American College of Cardiology Foundation and American Heart Association 2013 guideline for the management of STEMI differentiates patients into two categories, those that present to a PCI-capable hospital and those that present to a non-PCI-capable hospital. Initial management for patients presenting to a PCI-capable hospital includes Sending the patient to the cardiac catheterization lab for primary PCI with a goal-first medical contact to device time of less than or equal to 90 minutes. Adjunct agents include aspirin, a P2Y12 loading dose. The options include clopidogrel, prasugrel, or ticagrelor. For clopidogrel in particular, patients greater than 75 years of age should not receive a loading dose. And patients also receive additional anticoagulation with either unfractionated heparin or bivalirudin. And the unfractionated heparin IV bolus is preferred, but bivalirudin is an additional option. Initial management for patients presenting to a non-PCI capable hospital is dependent on whether or not a patient is anticipated to be able to receive primary PCI within 120 minutes. If the anticipated time to PCI from first medical contact is less than or equal to 120 minutes, the patient is transferred to a PCI capable hospital for primary PCI. If the anticipated time to PCI is greater than 120 minutes, then a fibrinolytic should be administered within 30 minutes of arrival with additional adjunct agents, including aspirin, a clopidogrel loading dose, and anticoagulation with either unfractionated heparin, low molecular weight heparin, or fondaparinux. For low molecular weight heparin in particular, I did want to highlight on the dosing regimen for patients as this will come up later in the presentation. Patients less than 75 years of age receive a 30 milligram IV bolus followed in 15 minutes by a one milligram per kilogram subcutaneous injection every 12 hours. Patients greater than or equal to 75 years of age do not receive an IV bolus, but will receive 0.75 milligrams per kilogram subcutaneously injected every 12 hours. The European Society of Cardiology came out with newer, more recent guidelines in 2023 for the management of acute coronary syndromes. These guidelines also differentiate patients based off of presentation to either a PCI-capable hospital or a non-PCI-capable hospital. Initial management for patients presenting to a PCI-capable hospital includes sending the patient to the cardiac catheterization lab for primary PCI with the aim of less than 60 minutes to wire crossing. Wire crossing is defined as the crossing of the infarct-related artery with the catheterization wire. Adjunct agents include aspirin, a prasugrel or ticagrelor loading dose, and anticoagulation with unfractionated heparin, low molecular weight heparin, or bivalirudin. Note that these guidelines recommend prasugrel or ticagrelor over clopidogrel due to clopidogrel being found to be less effective and produces a more variable platelet inhibition. Additionally, unfractionated heparin is the preferred anticoagulation option. Similarly to the ACCF AHA guidelines, initial management for patients presenting to a non-PCI capable hospital is dependent on whether or not a patient is anticipated to be able to receive primary PCI within 120 minutes. If PCI is possible in 120 minutes, the preferred treatment is primary PCI. If PCI is not possible in 120 minutes, the patient should still be immediately transferred to a PCI-capable hospital but should also receive fibrinolysis. Adjunct agents include aspirin, a clopidogrel loading dose, and anticoagulation with low molecular weight heparin. Low molecular weight heparin was associated with a reduction in the risk of death and reinfarction at 30 days when compared with a weight-adjusted unfractionated heparin dose but its use does come with the cost of a significant increase in non-cerebral bleeding complications. Listed here are the two most commonly seen fibrinolytics in the U.S. There are tenecteplase, or TNK, and alteplase, or TPA. Both fibrinolytics are dosed on patient weight, and TNK is given as an intravenous push and has a greater fibrin specificity, Whereas TPA is given as a bolus followed by a more complex multi step infusion and has lower specificity for fibrin. For TNK specifically, the ESC recommends reducing to half dose in patients greater than or equal to 75 years of age. However, the ACCF AHA guidelines do not contain this recommendation. Listed here are the absolute and relative contraindications to fibrinolysis as outlined by the ACCF-AAJ guidelines. The ESC contraindications to fibrinolytic therapy are very similar to these, but in general, the majority of the contraindications are things that would place the patient at an increased risk of bleed, and many of these are standard contraindications to fibrinolytic therapy and also translate to use in acute ischemic stroke. Going into our previous literature, the first trial is the ASCENT-4 trial, and this was a multi-center randomized trial that was published in 2006. Patients were randomized to either PCI or PCI preceded by administration of full-dose TNK. All patients also received aspirin and a single IV bolus of unfractionated heparin. And if a stent was deployed, patients also received a clopidogrel loading dose as soon as possible. The total stroke in hospital occurred more often in the TNK PCI group, as did intracranial hemorrhage. 1% of patients in the TNK plus PCI group and 0% of patients in the PCI group experienced intracranial hemorrhage, which was statistically significant. 25.3% of patients In the TNK plus PCI group and one and 19% in the PCI group experienced minor in-hospital bleeding complications, which was also statistically significant. This study was terminated early because of an excess of strokes and early thrombotic complications when mandatory routine PCI was undertaken within one to three hours after fibrinolysis, regardless of evidence of successful reperfusion. The average age of patients in this study was around 60.5 years, and 12.2% of total patients were over the age of 75. For the Larson and Colleagues study, they published a prospective data analysis in 2012 looking at the safety and efficacy of a pharmacoinvasive reperfusion strategy in rural STEMI patients with expected transfer delays. Patients that presented to a PCI-capable hospital or a referral hospital less than 60 miles From a PCI-capable hospital underwent primary PCI. Patients that presented to a referral hospital that was greater than or equal to 60 miles from a PCI-capable hospital received half-dose TNK followed by immediate transfer. This study was one of the first to introduce the idea of using a half-dose fibrinolytic. TNK was the most frequently used fibrinolytic, but the choice was based on individual hospital formulary. All patients also received aspirin, clopidogrel, a heparin load and infusion, and a beta blocker. Authors found that patients presenting to PCI hospital treated with primary PCI versus patients that transferred who received fibrinolytic showed no differences in stroke or major bleeding. The average age of patients in this study was around 62 years. Lastly, we have the STREAM-1 trial. The STREAM-1 trial was an open-label, prospective, randomized, parallel-group, multi-center trial that was published in 2013. Patients were randomly assigned to undergo either primary PCI or or fibrinolytic therapy with bolus full-dose TNK. TNK dosing was amended to half-dose for those over the age of 75 years partway through the trial due to increased rates of intracranial hemorrhage. All patients also received aspirin, clopidogrel, and low molecular weight heparin. Stroke occurred in 1.6% of patients in the TNK group and in 0.5% of patients in the primary PCI group, which was statistically significant. And after the dose reduction in ages greater than 75 years, there were no cases of intracranial hemorrhage as compared to 8.1% before amendment. Rates of major non-intracranial bleeding was 6.5% in the TNK group and 4.8% in the primary PCI group, which was not statistically significant. And the mean age of patients was 59 years, and approximately 13% of total patients were over the age of 75. Now, to summarize our previous literature before diving into the stream two, the ASCENT4 trial introduced facilitated PCI with TNK and found that full-dose TNK given before planned PCI results in worse outcomes than PCI alone. The Larson and Colleagues trial introduced half-dose fibrinolysis in rural patients experiencing transfer delays and found that half-dose fibrinolysis compared with immediate transfer for PCI may be a safe and effective option. Lastly, the STREAM-1 trial introduced the use of half-dose TNK, specifically in patients greater than 75 years due to an increased risk of intracranial bleeding, and found that pre-hospital fibrinolysis with timely coronary angiography resulted in effective reperfusion in patients who could not undergo primary PCI within one hour after first medical contact. Stream 2 was an investigator-initiated, open-label, prospective, randomized, multi-center trial. That was completed from August of 2017 to September of 2022, and it was completed at 49 centers in 10 different countries and was funded by the University of Leuven in Belgium and also by Boehringer Ingelheim. For our inclusion criteria, the original protocol included patients that were greater than or equal to 70 years of age. However, slow recruitment prompted an amendment to include patients greater than or equal to 60 years of age. This decision was also informed by a literature review that the authors completed. The authors completed an internal review of the ASCENT and STREAM-1 trials and found that increasing rates of intracranial and major non-intracranial bleeding starts in around 60 years of age. Patients also had to be greater than or equal to 55 kilograms, be presenting less than or equal to three hours after symptom onset, have ECG evidence of STEMI and have the inability to undergo primary PCI within one hour, but before three hours after first medical contact. Listed here are the exclusion criteria, which can be found in the supplemental appendix. There are quite a few criteria that ends up creating a very niche patient population. And many of the exclusion criteria reflect contraindications to fibrinolytic therapy as outlined by our guidelines. Items that are bolded are exclusion criteria that are not within or differ from our available guidelines. Patients were randomized in a two-to-one ratio to either a pharmacoinvasive strategy with TNK or primary PCI. For the TNK group, patients received a half-dose weight-adjusted bolus of tenecteplase, aspirin 150 to 325 milligrams, all patients received 300 milligrams of clopidogrel. And this was an interesting choice by the authors, as both the ACCF, AHA, and the ESC guidelines do not recommend a clopidogrel load in patients that are over 75 years of age. And around a fourth of the study population was over the age of 75. Patients also received 0.7 milligrams per kilogram of subcutaneous low molecular weight heparin. And this dosing also differs slightly from guidelines as patients less than or equal to 75 years of age are intended to receive the 30 milligram IV bolus in addition to the 1 milligram per kilogram subcutaneous low molecular weight heparin. And lastly, rescue PCI was performed if coronary angiography showed failed reperfusion defined as less than 50% ST resolution. For patients in the PCI group, PCI adjunct agents were given in conjunction with local care guidelines. Shown here is a comparison of the full-dose TNK dosing regimen compared to the half-dose dosing regimen. And for the half-dose dosing regimen, you can see doses ranging from 15 milligrams to 25 milligrams. For study outcomes, the authors did not define a singular primary outcome but rather listed efficacy endpoints of primary interest. Those included reperfusion efficacy based on the proportion of patients with a greater than or equal to 50% ST elevation resolution in the lead with the worst ST segment elevation. And ST resolution is tied to infarct size and overall clinical outcomes. Authors also looked at the resolution of ST deviations after last angiography and a composite of all cause mortality, shock, heart failure, and reinfarction at 30 days. For additional efficacy endpoints, the authors looked at investigator reported Timmy flow grade at first and last coronary angiography and the incidence of aborted myocardial infarction. Lastly, for safety outcomes, the authors looked at the occurrence of stroke and the occurrence of non intracranial bleeding. Listed here are the baseline characteristics for patients. Authors did not report p-values for these, but described them as being similar to one another. The average patient was 70 years of age, male 80 kilograms with an inferior infarct and a TIMI risk score of 4, and hypertension and diabetes were common comorbidities. Taking a look at our timeline for both groups, time from symptom onset to randomization, Was roughly the same at an hour and a half in both groups. Then for the TNK group, after randomization, patients were able to receive therapy within approximately 10 minutes, giving a total time from symptom onset to start of reperfusion therapy around 110 minutes. For the primary PCI group, the total time from symptom onset to start of reperfusion therapy was closer to around 190 minutes. And of the 401 patients in the TNK group, 86% went for angiography, and almost all that went received a stent. This could be due to the STREAM-2 trial having a tighter time cutoff of one hour versus a two-hour cutoff as outlined by the guidelines. For our efficacy outcomes in regard to ECG measurements, repeat ECG assessment 90 minutes after TNK indicated 70.3% of patients that received TNK achieved a greater than or equal to 50% resolution in the lead with the greatest ST segment elevation. They also showed that repeat ECG assessments after last angiography or PCI indicated 85.2% versus 78.4% of patients in the TNK versus primary PCI arms achieved greater than or equal to 50% and ST-segment elevation resolution. The composite clinical efficacy endpoint of all-cause mortality, shock, heart failure, and reinfarction at 30 days occurred in a similar proportion of patients in the TNK and primary PCI group, and the individual components of the composite endpoint were not statistically significant, and the study is not powered to show a difference in clinical events. For a pre-specified subgroup analysis, the author stratified patients to receiving TNK in less than one hour, in one to two hours, and in greater than two hours. There was only one significant difference that was found from this analysis in favor of the pharmacoinvasive strategy. There was a lower incidence of the composite endpoint in the TNK group randomly assigned within one hour of symptom onset. And this highlights The idea of the golden window for TNK administration. Looking at patient safety outcomes, stroke occurred in 2.3% of patients in the TNK group and in 0.5% of patients in the primary PCI group. 1.5% of patients in the TNK group experienced intracranial hemorrhage, of which three were fatal. The three fatal intracranial hemorrhage patients all experienced significant protocol violations. Two patients received excess anticoagulation by receiving both low molecular weight heparin and therapeutic IV unfractionated heparin during rescue PCI, and one patient had uncontrolled hypertension with greater than 180 over 110. Major non-intracranial bleeding occurred in 2.3% of patients and 1.3% in the TNK group and 1% in the primary PCI group and blood transfusion rates were the same in both groups. For the author's conclusion, they state that provided contraindications to fibrinolysis are not observed and excess anticoagulation is avoided. A pharmacoinvasive treatment with half-dose TNK is an effective reperfusion strategy in older early-presenting patients with STEMI. For the strengths and limitations, strengths included having a large patient population, it being a prospective multicenter study, the groups were well-balanced at baseline, and the ECG measures were conducted without knowledge of clinical outcomes. For limitations, this study was not a non-inferiority study. There was a large exclusion list, making the study findings difficult to apply to the patients not fitting this niche category. It was underpowered. There were major protocol violations. It was an unblinded study and it used a different timeline in adjunct agent therapy compared to guideline recommended strategies. Now for our application to clinical patients for clinical practice, in patients with STEMI unable to undergo PCI within 120 minutes, I would recommend half dose TNK in patients greater than or equal to 75 years of age and consider half dose TNK in patients greater than or equal to 60 to 74 years of age. There are three main considerations within this recommendation. First is the time cutoff. Based off of the Stream 2 trial, authors are recommending if you present to a facility and are unlikely to receive PCI within one hour, you could consider getting TNK during that golden hour time window as a means to facilitate PCI shortly thereafter. However, this is different from clinical guidelines and practice. The ACCF, AHA, and ECS guidelines use the cutoff of 120 minutes. Second is the age cutoff. The age cutoff here is tricky as authors have now looked at three separate age cutoffs for this population, 75, 70, and 60. I would recommend half-dose TNK in patients greater than or equal to 75 years of age due to alignment with the ESC 2023 guidelines, and I would consider half-dose TNK in patients greater than or equal to 60 years of age to 74 years of age due to application of the STREAM-2 trial. However, this would be a low certainty consideration. However, even without current studies available not being non-inferiority studies, the ASCENT-4 trial found that full-dose TNK-facilitated PCI was associated with worse outcomes than primary PCI. And both the Larson and colleagues study and stream one study found half dose fibrinolysis to be a potential safe and effective option for older patients that will experience a delay to primary PCI. Additionally, patients that received fibrinolytic therapy should still have access to urgent rescue PCI. And lastly, use caution when administering concomitant therapy and avoid excess anticoagulation to reduce the potential risk of bleeding. And this reinforces the role of the pharmacist and the need for clear and timely communication regarding what treatments are given between various members of the healthcare team. Thank you all for joining and I'd be happy to answer any questions.
0: If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine. This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.